and welcome to Eternal Turtles. I'm your host, Zach Clark, and with me as always, Phil Blackman. Phil, how's it going, man? Zach, between the Asia Eternal Weekend results and the Europe Eternal Weekend results, do we know anything? Is there anything to be learned to I know? Think, I think one of the neat things that, like, I, and we kind of talked about this in the last episode, what decks you kind of expect to see in uh, Europe versus Asia. My thoughts have always been there's more combo in Asia and there's more lands players in Europe. And that sort of translates over. The numbers aren't like big differences, but there's like 5% more lands players between the two. And there's a little bit larger swath of combo players, like, you know, non-permanent, like storm style combo. And neither one of those numbers is enough that like, I would be like, prepare for lands and combo decks. They exist and you can bias yourself next turn weekend based on that, I suppose. The results that we learned from this one between Europe, which saw four color do not great and then Asia, which saw four color do great, and the the variance between them. Really, I think the most indicative results that we probably have are like SCG Pit from from like last month. That's yeah. probably a better source. I, I'm of the mind of broad stroking it at this point for North America to turn a weekend. Days Wasteland decks, expect some number scan, of dark ritual Delver. decks. Yeah. Expect some variety of Days Wasteland decks and have a plan for, you know, if it's scam or if it's just classic DRC decks. Have a plan for Days Wasteland, have a plan for fast combo in some capacity, whether that's Urza Saga Ancient Tomb decks or Dark Ritual, and then have a plan for any number of up the Beanstalk variations between Beanstalk Midrange, Uro and Triumph and Murktide, or Beanstalk Control, like I like to play, and you know, people have some variety of those with like planeswalkers and shit. Yeah. And you know, have a plan for artifacts because Painter will be around, and have a, a plan for the off the beaten path stuff. I'm, I'm broad stroking it at this point yeah. after looking at all these results. I'm pretty happy that North America is the last Eternal Weekend. Yeah, it's uh, great for us. We we get we get this, all all this information first. Phil, people listen to the podcast. The uh, they get they get the benefit of knowing a couple things. One, I'm locked in. I know what I'm playing. What are you playing, Zach? I'm playing Infect. He's playing Infect. I'm what playing Infect. Playing? If you if you see this face across from you at about this angle prepare for infect i look forward to getting poisoned in the uh last round of the side event <laughs> in the last round of the side <laughs> event that i play on saturday before i yeah. jump back on a train at 7 a.m to get back uh, back to philly <laughs> you have a shorter time than i do i'm going to be there early thursday i'm going to play in as many of the challenges as i can up until the main event to you know finish out get those the last reps couple in. of sideboard slots that i want guess what i'm on zach um, you'll never guess i'm pretty sure that you're on white weenie white weenie <laughs> for mystic sanctuary white weenie what else would i be doing obviously you're on miracles phil before we get into a little bit more about uh, about eternal weekend and about the asia results i want to talk about the like weekly mtg ban announcement that happened this week and and some of the information that i kind of gleaned through uh you know the re- read between the lines if you will about uh about what's going on with that uh this is going to be i think a shorter episode because you know we've already we've already waxed intellectual about about uh eternal weekend anyhow but uh the ban announcement had some interesting uh things you know we we, we found out they're for sure gonna ban something in modern probably gonna be grief or fury they're definitely gonna ban something in pioneer again we no one cares about this stuff that's listening to this podcast and i don't even really care that much about about those two formats but i think the interesting thing was when they started talking about legacy and they said they weren't gonna ban anything but phil they didn't say they weren't gonna unban anything did they i mean they did explicitly call out north american eternal weekend given that they're going to be overhauling modern and pioneer to some extent i'd be surprised if they also just tacked on some other unban in legacy i know you and i chatted before about like what they could even possibly unban and you threw out mana drain and i was like great unban mana drain yeah. and nothing changes cool. it won't change anything uh, but i think i think that if, if there's an opportunity to do to do something wacky and just see if if it sticks unban mana drain and i think they said you know nothing's going to get banned or unbanned in vintage 
They're not going to change vintage at all. But they specifically didn't say, they just said like, no, we're not going to ban anything in, in Legacy and moved on. But they like kind of felt like a wink and a nod that like something might change. There might be a, a, an unbanned too. You know, maybe that's crazy because there's a tournament coming up in a week. But I think if they do something like Mana Drain, it's not going to change anyone's metrics. Yeah, Mana Drain is not going to change anything. Unbanned Library of Alexandria, who cares? Yeah. I, I think the bigger thing for that discussion that they had was, okay, yeah, we're going to ban something in Modern. Obviously, we have to overhaul something in Pioneer because we just, you know, cracked another mechanic and that leads, leads to another one-card combo. But in Legacy, they did talk about how the way that they will look at bans going forward for at least Legacy because it's much more of a community format at this point than but yeah. supported. Uh, As we speak, though, uh, to, to point out, we did just cap at 9.50 earlier yeah. this afternoon for the event. So the event is capped. North America Eternal Weekend is capped, yeah. yeah. They were talking about how they were they base bans on, they called funness, which isn't yeah. a word, but they were talking about how fun is a format and how fun are certain cards and play patterns that that would help inform them. And so a lot of that is going to be listening to the community at large, which means... It, it was indicative to me when I heard it. I was like, okay, so it kind of means that like, if you're loud enough, if the yeah. legacy community as a whole is loud enough, like they'll be like, okay, sure, whatever. We don't care. This is your format. Like if you guys don't want to play with us anymore, you don't have to. They were like, yeah, we care about the funness of the format, but then they didn't actually express they explain even what funness is. But they didn't even take a shot on goal. I'm cool with like, of course, like what else? It was exactly what I would imagine any of us would expect that they would talk about when it comes to like bans or unbans and legacy. Acknowledge that like Mind's Desire didn't really move the needle in ways for combo, but like yeah. also because combo sort of looks different now because combo is also Urza Saga. So it's like, okay, well, Urza Saga is really subsidizing like 50% of the format at this point. So it's like, is it combo because it also can beat down really easily as opposed to, you know, straight like Storm or whatever. But when they were talking about the funness of the format and what that actually means, they didn't explain it at all. And they also didn't have a good reply to somebody in their chat just straight up asking, what does fun mean? How yeah. do you calibrate fun? What what are the metrics that you would look at for fun? And the stuff that they looked at is they, they, they mentioned that they look at like tournament attendance as a metric because if people are disengaging from a format, that's usually indicative of something. If you're like but, standard and no one's showing up to your LGS. Yeah, that, I think that that's like, <laughs> that's what they were talking about pretty much, yeah. you know, for like when it comes to like the other formats. For Legacy, I imagine that like the only historic ones that came to mind for me when they were talking about you know, if the community is loud enough and they listen to the feedback from the community. The one that comes to mind for me forever will be the sign in the parking lot and the pizza sent to Watsi's office to get yeah. Sensei's Divining Top Band. Like, that sculpted the entire future of my legacy, whatever. But beyond that, like, everybody was really vocal about Oko and they yeah. made, they took action on that. Everyone was really vocal on Dreadhorde Arcanist and they took a, a, action on that. Everybody was really vocal. Under, Underworld Breach, but Underworld Breach was also just, like, very clearly objectively broken. Oko, you could argue, wasn't broken. It was just extremely unfun. Yeah. You know, I guess like, the other two cards you'd be talking about then would be Run and Six and Astrolabe. Astrolabe, arguably extremely unfun and Ren and Six, same thing, just like on rate, too good. Particularly, but it's also like a, a lot of those bands are also from other things that are being, su that are subsidizing how, how powerful they are. Yeah. Like Ren and Six in Modern, clearly not powerful enough to get get the axe. Ren and Six with Wasteland, clearly too good. Arkham's Astrolabe just makes it so that you can't play with the basic lands that you like. And so everybody was like, I want to just play with the basic lands that I enjoy. So get rid of this shit. And that's fine. Oko, you could argue maybe on power level isn't, isn't too legacy, isn't beyond legacy busted, but also just maybe makes it so that games are just entirely what are we even doing here like if dread Arcanist got on banned is it better like would you play it over orcish bowmasters at this point would you yeah. i didn't even like, like it I, when it was when it was able to be played i didn't think it was that good but like people people were up in arms about it they didn't want you brainstorming two times yeah i think it i think was the also... lightning bolts were, were, were the actual problem it was like getting a lightning bolt and then attacking and lightning bolt again that's like a third of your life i wonder if the difference between that versus like okay if orcish bowmasters literally 
opponent catches a single cantrip of any kind, it's just five damage to the dome for yeah. two mana. It deals one. It ETBs deals one, catches the draw, deals one, and then attacks for three. So like off of one catch for two mana, it deals five. Like and it can interact with your board in combat and blow out your creatures. Like is that worse than do you, than Dreadheart Arcanist in terms of like how that navigates play patterns? You can argue that it's like all right, well it makes you move into a third color for Blue Red Delver, but like it still puts up the results. So like does that mean anything? Blue Red Delver also losing expressive, but then still winning the European Legacy Championship, which we talked about, where it's like it's literally a trop splash for the three green pips off of the yeah. question druid, but otherwise it's just straight blue red delver anyway. Delver with the expressive iteration. Yeah, know? so it's like I think like if you wanted to unban stuff out of off the list that they could take, the stuff that they would unban wouldn't help push anything that isn't already the best deck yeah. because all of the stuff that's banned for the most part was banned because of the delver shell yeah what are they gonna like and unban so, treasure cruise it's like yeah it's <laughs> no. like unbanning anything else just like subsidizes the, the delver shell more yeah. right drc you can't bring off none of the delve spells you can d- bring off renin six is too busted if drc if dreadheart arcanist is just going to be forgotten even though it's probably fine at this point it only is in the light in the delver shell really you're not going to bring astrolabe astrolabe i think is arguably the one that it's like actually like the unfun reason nobody's going to be touching top anytime soon because it's literally just me and like the five other miracles yeah. players in the world that like wanted to come on off and like that's it right okay mana drain can come off sure if they don't like if they don't unban mana drain i'm making a shirt that says unban mana drain unman mana drain unman mana drain i think that like <laughs> that's not only the episode title but i feel like we could put our efforts towards something so much better i actually think it would be pretty interesting to see what the world would look like if if there was a dreadheart arcanist unban like that's kind of interesting i think that's like probably the closest one we're looking at but either way what we learned from the announcement of the bands for legacy is that they pretty much will just pay heed to whatever we make the most noise about yeah now is that good or bad i think it's good in that it means that the voice of the community matters in terms of the format and how we want to enjoy it but i think it is less good in that it will only really reward the plurality that is the loudest for the cards that they don't like yeah we would cross that bridge when we get there like <laughs> the format is fine like it's yeah. been it's it, through any lens of any other era the format is exactly the same as it's always Always been since we started playing. Same as it ever was. It's it cheap threat wasteland days at the top of the format, and then you have some amount of like check pile control that in some in the form of Uro plus cards, whatever the flavor du jour of the most recent busted card added to that mix is, and then you have some amount of dark ritual combo that you're going to run into, and Urza Saga subsidizes half the format. Like that's what we're looking at. So it's like have a plan for all that, and that's what the format is. There's also something to be said that it's very rare that the community pushes to axe cards that punish the can trip suite in a way where dreadhorde arcanist its power level was pushed because of the cantrip suite something like orcus bowmasters punishes the cantrip suite so even though it's played alongside the cantrip suite and has the best results in the cantrip cantrip suite shells i don't think it'll ever get the same heat because people have a a natural inclination to be really opposed to ponder brainstorm because it does really well as opposed to like trying to help out the people who like to play birds of paradise yeah i agree there we go we've talked about the ban list you know, we'll see if Mana Drain, we're going to post this at like 8 a.m. So like, hopefully we find out very quickly if Mana Drain gets unbanned or not. Zach, if they unman Mana Drain, are you going to, are you going to sleeve up? Just uh, throw Blue one, control just deck? a Miser's, a Miser's one Italian Mana Drain well, in my, uh, in my uh, main deck. I will, have... I will. Okay, good. I will. I'll have to just find a find a card that I can exploit with it too. That's the worst part. Six mana toxic creature or something like that. Like with Tyrannus Rex or something like that in the, in Dude, the sideboard in the main. You are the eight cast bro. Just put your Karns back in your deck and do what we talked yeah, about. Yeah, right? full Karn. The Karnage. Full Karn. Mana drain your opponent's one drop and get that sweet, sweet one mana. Going back to Eternal Weekend, the big differences in numbers, land-based in Asia, land-based fair like Green Sun Zenith was at... Uh, uh, 10%. 
11%-ish. Mid-range was at 12. Spell combo was at 15. Now, if we take those three numbers, so we got 10, 12, and 15, and we move them over to Prague, 14, 17, and 10. It's wild, like, those numbers basically all add up to the, you know, very close to the same, the same, like, total number of the meta. Very much, like, 5% in, in either direction. Seeing these numbers, what are you hoping we get to see and watch a lot of on coverage. First, I want to just see a Delver mirror to just so people can see how miserable that is to like have to watch that. That is that is the future we live in. We deserve to be punished. And after that, you know, I want to see Dex eat Delver because that's, you know, that's basically what it's going to be. Is like my prediction out of this uh, uh, tournament is that Dex that eat Delver end up winning, but Delver is still going to be largely the largest, play, the like the largest played deck. So just, just to get a quick idea real fast, Delver is what we got. Grixis Delver. Delver at five six percent in Prague and Jeskai Delver at nothing and Rug Delver is two percent and Grixis Delver is six percent and there's no I didn't even see any is it Delver that's EU seven percent of the meta for Delver Joe Dyer's metrics here that for Asia it was 145 tempo decks that would be classified as tempo decks 43 Rug Delver yeah. 40 Grixis Delver so that's 83 Delver decks in the field two of the top three decks uh, and then Demir Scam another 27 copies over a hundred players playing well this is asia i was just talking about uh, europe so now asia you know so so in asia we're looking at grixis delvers at six percent it was at six percent any other one and rug delver at six percent that's a marked increase in rug delver over over that one tournament because people saw it was good right that's the thing just be ready for delver be ready for scam i think if your matchups are good against delver and scam you're going to be pretty good against the rest of the format i think yeah i think the format is wide enough as much as we talk about like have have plans for these things i think it's good to have plans for the pillars but the the event just sold out right and they're not going to add rounds even though it's capped so like to get to the top eight you you're gonna have to be like x1 or better yeah you gotta win 11 rounds like you you really have to be on pretty much effectively unblemished in this tournament that that means that not only are you gonna have to like have good plans against those pillars you're gonna need to get some amount of lucky throughout the course of the day that's with any tournament yep but then on top of that, you're also going to need to get really lucky in the pairings because there's no deck in the field that I think is favorable against everything else because yep. there are so many decks in the format, as particularly at the top tables as well, that can just cheese you. The blanket of getting cheesed in the format to, to take a loss in, uh, across the day and then maybe you get paired against like an unfavored matchup once. And then that costs you another, like, you're, once you get two losses, you're out. Yeah, so get some it, food. it's, it's going to be really <laughs> tight. Like, for if you're going in and you're playing Infect, if you're one of the few Infect players in, in the event, it's going to be you. Maybe if Sam Dom shows up and then, you know, the followers thereof. You're going in against what decks that you hope that to never face as Infect. I mean, I don't want, like, mono removal dot deck after that. Honestly, Scam's very, Scam I'm not really happy, happy playing against. Because if you just ruin my hand and then you snuff out my guy, there's not a lot Days does against the snuff out. You are the Legolas's quick reflexes yeah. my guy just no, you're not you're not wrong it's just that free mana is is the problem so being able yeah. to cast things because I'm I'm not gonna not cast Glistener Elf on turn one if I don't if I have it you know like you know it's it's things like that a scam is probably one of the better decks set up to to stop in fact and that's if you're not patient so if you're gonna be patient you'll probably do all right just as a heads up what were there four infect decks three infect decks in in Asia and what we got four so seven infect decks out of these thirteen hundred people if you get paired up against infect and you're prepared for it God bless you because it's it's so it's gonna be pretty rare that you're going to play against somebody playing Infect, you know? like That's obviously no. not one of the decks on the radar, but it no. is another Days deck, right? So like, yeah. 
if you if you have a chunky curve and are not prepared to like play low to the ground, then you're just gonna. I mean, that's that's all, all things. What do you expect the top eight to look like at North America? I think I think you're gonna see a lot of. I think you're gonna see one or two of the, of those Oro control decks, and I think you're gonna see one combo deck either gonna be like Painter. It's gonna be something that's not on that list, right? But a combo deck that's not on that list, maybe a Doomsday deck, and probably like three Delver decks. The Americans love their Delver, man. Like I think that there's gonna be a lot of Delver representation in this field, and if it's not three Delver decks, it's three Scam decks. Yeah. Do you think Do you think there's gonna be a higher percentage of Scam at North America than there was at the other two Eternal Weekends? I definitely think there will be, and and I want to say this: I think there will be a larger percentage of because of the number of people in this tournament. I think there will be a larger percentage of people who are like, "Well, I own the fetches, I own the shocks." I'll play Death Shadow. I own the Griefs. I play Modern, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna say a Miser's Death Shadow in the top eight. I know last episode we talked about eight cast uh, doing really poor in Europe, and that like maybe you don't have to be prepared for it. I think the reason that it did so poorly to amend that episode a bit was people probably were just exceptionally prepared for it because it was the second most represented deck. It did not do very well at all, given that it was the second most represented deck. But it was the second most represented deck, and so I imagine that there will be some amount of of the decks that don't require any reserve list cards, I imagine that those will also show up at a higher percentage for Eternal Weekend, given that it capped. And I think that that means that we will likely, as you said, there'll probably be a higher than normal representation of Death Shadow, probably a, an equivalent to what you would have actually expected of eight cast generally, because the deck is still good. There's a 3% drop off for Asia. It's clear to me that the Asian numbers reflected off of the Europe numbers, yeah, right? Yeah, for like, sure. It was clear, there was clearly influence there. Yeah. Just the fact that like, oh, okay, you know what's good against Rug Delver? Uro Control, I feel like, is a, is a good choice against, against Rug Delver, right? If you can stay in the game long enough, you'll just go over the top of that deck. Yeah, there's something to be said about a high density of cards being able to go over the top of a wasteland. And so if a beanstalk can stick and convert a card, usually can be enough to overcome a single wasteland if the game can develop to that point. I, I mean, I've been a predict gamer for a long time. And the way that you would get through that first wasteland is if you could convert a predict and just go up some amount of raw resources, them spending time trying to stifle development. When you have a, way, a, a, a lot more resources to get you through development, you're able to you know, power through this, the first wasteland. So I mean, nothing's worse beans- than like opening, uh, like, you know, old school rug Delver playing, playing that and like having like a hand that's like stifle, waste, waste, or stifle, stifle, waste, and then hitting a deck that just won't stop drawing lands. Mm-hmm. You're just like, well, I mean, what was I even doing? Yeah, that's usually how it goes. And also those decks have to respect, because they're all Uro decks, they all usually have to respect Caracas, even though, you know, Caracas has sort of fallen of off a bit, but like they have to respect it. So there's always like the singular wasteland in the 60 plus a life from the loam, a life the loan because their mana base sucks hey i'm i'm in that camp right like i'm not playing uro but my mana base is trash and so like i have to give the the hat tip to wasteland it being so prevalent and so yeah. i have to play the loan also play draw really matters in that in that respect too wasteland timing really matters like if they have a threat and that wasteland converted for some amount of damage we talked a lot last time on i think it was two episodes ago three episodes ago where i went on a rant where i was like yeah delver is pretty much indistinguishable from infect at this point because murktide is one shot yeah and so like the, the same way that you have your spells they just have bolts and if you just equate all those cards they the games effectively play the same nowadays it's less likely that three damage is like 
the lethal marker of like you're dead in a shot. It's like eight. If you are at eight, that's the lethal marker because Murktide just kills in a shot. And so every hit that you take from a Delver or a DRC is like effectively when you just get chipped by an infect and now you just have however much damage. And so it takes less pump spells to get across the finish line. Yeah. That's like, it, it's it's reminiscent in my mind of like how the deck actually plays out these days. I want to I wanna hold that thought for one second because I wanted to bring up something, you know, it's, it's Christmas time, season of giving, the season of miracles. I have a special announcement that I want to make. Uh, we're, we're helping out a local friend who uh, is doing this thing called Kimber's Cube. Uh, and it's for a child who has cancer. And we've got the link below for that. And, uh, you know, if you can if you can uh, check that out and donate, it's, it's a feel good for the holiday season. I think, uh, you know, it's something that helping out the local community and it's for a good cause. So I think that's something that we should I, I just want to highlight in the middle of this discussion about Eternal Weekend. I think that's a great spot to put it because we have your full attention. And if you have the means to help this kid out. So uh, I've got that. I've got that link to below. Just check that out. Like I said, if you have the means to help help support this, this kid's situation, good on. Yeah, if there was if there was a time to like put any uh, expendable funds anywhere, this is the that's the spot to do it. Obviously, it's the time of year for it. If you get to go through and like read about it, is it's it's magic related. It's called Kimber's Cube. It's very much worthwhile. So if you can, that's the place to to go. You know, we always appreciate the support on our cast. If you have the means to support us this time around, throw it over there. Yeah, going back over uh, the some other some other interesting points about Asia versus versus EU is uh, almost the exact same amount of Stompy uh, is being played. So Stompy, Stompy's metric didn't change at all. The graveyard did change for Asia. We got a we got a small lift in the graveyard for Asia. The non-blue for Asia went up almost double. I mean, it's it you know nine decks out of six hundred or whatever, but that that almost doubled. And I think those metrics are worth are worth talking about and and you know at, at least worth noting. Yeah, go for it. If we're seeing an increase in in graveyard, and you know we can extrapolate that, we can look at Europe and say, oh, people were like not respecting the graveyard according to the Asian uh, results, right? Reanimator had a yeah forty five percent win percentage, so. It wasn't great, but it wasn't bad. Versus Asia had about the same. So that increase in, in, in graveyard strategy didn't change anything. What have we learned? The graveyard's still dead? The thing to keep in mind about the reanimator strategies is, yes, for a 45% win percentage across two, both EWs does not bode well for its chances in North America. No. And I think that reanimator will have a similar result in North America. I think it will at best do around 45%. I don't think it's a deck to play if you're looking to win the event. Like we were talking about before, you can't have a blemish on your record if you're going to top it. You can maybe give a match if you have good break but that's it. Playing that kind of combo deck where you are sort of at the mercy of how prepared your opponents are for you isn't a great spot to be, given that you don't really have space to maneuver. That is not to say, though, that you should be unprepared or that people will move away from the animator. I still think it's going to be a highly represented deck. It's always a represented combo deck. It's like not a difficult deck to pilot, it's something that's fairly easy to pick up that has like crossover from other formats. If you, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's something that's fairly linear. And so like, if you don't have a lot of time to like practice for an event, it's like, okay, I'm just going to play reanimator. I know like this deck plays this hate, this deck plays this hate. I can keep that notes on the side and just look at like, oh, my opponent's on initiative. This is the hate that they bring in post-board. Exactly. I bring in these stuff. And it's like really simple in that regard. Like, and by, I mean more simple than like the other types of decks that are trying to like pivot and maneuver how to like navigate something. Like you care about like very, very, very specific things. And so it's it brings the amount of decisions that you have to in a much more narrow lane. You know, useful for the people that haven't had time to, you know, put in a lot of testing and, and still just want to jam games. I expect it to 
to show up in uh, in a decent number. And I personally would not skimp on the graveyard hate because I think that like if you're going to go unblemished, there's always like the thing of like how much are you, you know hate are you really supposed to dedicate to to fast combo and graveyard combo and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Your graveyard hate for the decks with games that go long. So like the stuff that you're boarding in against like Delver or Four Color or you know any of the decks where the games develop, your your sideboard cards are less likely to have the the game-ending swingy impact that the sideboard cards for the games that go three turns max will. You know what I mean? The time frame in which you have to leverage your sideboard cards against decks like Delver or Four Color or any of the other like mid-rangey-esque like Obzon decks or whatever, all those kinds of cards, you'll have more time to leverage them. Where against combo, if you don't find your shit early and you just lose the combo, even though you're, you're like, oh, I should have boarded more and then I wouldn't have had this blemish on my record and now I can't, you know, top 16 or whatever. Just keep that in mind, right? Like I'm not saying, you know, overhaul your sideboard and, you know, max out for combo. Yeah. Your sideboard should probably lean still a little heavier towards combo because you just need a higher density of that stuff because the games are shorter yeah. and you can't afford to take those long losses in an event this big other interesting things like the non-blue i assume that's just maverick because like every every other archetype is sort of based so there's land-based but fair green sun zenith right that's 10 percent. but then there's non-blue and i don't know what those decks even are at that point what is a non-blue look, but non-green sun zenith deck like elves well elves is green sun zenith i mean all of the non-blue stuff that i think about are green sun zenith it's deaths and obzon yeah uh, cradle dot decks or whatever 18 non- mardu decks uh enter this tournament is that what happens red Stompy probably being cashed in close alongside Boros Initiative yeah. is. Are we considering I mean, I think, like death and taxes like non-blue? DNT DNT is in, would be in that category for sure. Yeah. yeah. yeah okay. Any other like if there are any other artifact based Vi- strategies? Isn't that I mean, vile? Isn't that a vile deck? Yeah. yeah I just don't I, know. I just don't know. You just don't know. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's why it's in the other category. But the decks, the decks based on Asia, the decks you should be prepared uh, prepared against. I think your sideboard should have answers for Delver and Scam. No. no Know how to play around Stompy. Don't get Blood Mooned out of the out of the tournament. Ha- have something for combo, and then after that, it's kind of like just be able to win your fair matches. Everything else is like land based decks. You know, if if you lose to a dark depth, you lose to a dark depth. So I, I don't think that sideboarding specifically against dark depths is going to really help you. Graveyard is often going to cross over with with combo, so I think you're good there. After that, like you know, permanent combo. I guess like if you have something that you know uh, that is going to stop uh, Painter. Focus on Delver. Focus on Scam. Focus. Focus on Stompy. Be be aware and ready to to not lose to Stompy. Yeah, I don't even know what you do to beat Boros Initiative though. Like, I don't know what cards you're like. Oh, I can bring this in. It's good against Initiative. I, I think just be Infect, dude. Just be Infect. If you're going into an event like this, we, we talk about the things to be prepared for and what to be prepared for. Looking at these numbers and what decks are likely to show up. The thing is that the event is so large, 950 players. Getting a calibration on like what you're likely to run into. Like, let's say Delver is the most like some variety of Delver is still the most played deck. Let's say it shows up and it's 15% of the field, some variation of Delver. And you're like, okay, I'm going in, I'm going to play against Delver. Make it a thousand players so the math is easy. If you're going in and it's like, okay, 150 players out of a thousand are on Delver, you're very unlikely to run in against Delver. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? So Round one, it, you it, have it, a 15% chance, right? <laughs> yeah. In that regard, because the, the tournament is so large and we know that going in, that there is something to be said about the deck that you're playing. You have to assume going in 
that your your pairings lottery is going to favor you. If you go in assuming that you're going to hit the pairings lottery, like all the way through the entire event, which is what everybody's going to need to do, everybody who top eights to some degree will have done that. Or if they ran into a, a, a architect that they were hoping not to, they got really lucky because their opponent like multi five into oblivion and just didn't play. Yeah, right? 12 and rounds. Like, I don't think someone's going to say, oh, I lost the die roll most of my rounds and got bad matchups the entire time and still got there. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of luck on, on the side of the people winning this thing. The point that I was trying to make is that if you go in assuming that the matchup lottery is going to favor you regardless, right? Mm-hmm. Just as a blind spot going in, you're like, this is how the world and the timeline that I live in is going to happen. I will just get my matchup lottery and it's going to be great. In that regard, whatever you think you can't beat like whatever matchup you think you're just cold against, it's like a ignore 90 it. 10 matchup. And ignore you're like, I'm just ignore it. Yeah, Save just those slots it. and put it put it towards something else that actually would be meaningful. Those sideboard slots would be meaningful against. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll just use mine as an example because it's the way I've been thinking about it. It's at least analogous for people listening. I'm on effectively creatureless miracles. My, my win percentage against Boros Initiative will be zero games out of 100 games. I'm never beating that matchup. And even if I dedicated my entire sideboard trying to solve that matchup, it's unlikely that even then I would solve it. Yeah. And so rather than commit a torpor orb or like some creature transformation sideboard, whatever, to try and fight over the thing, they are just going to beat me on an axis that my deck or the architect that I'm choosing to play just does not fight on. In which case, I should just assume that if I get paired against it, ah, shucks, right? I lost that matchup lottery. That's unfortunate. So be it. Fight it but out. Like, there is no archetype that will be a large enough percentage of the field that you are likely to run into it because yeah. the format is so large. So unless Delver shows up and is literally 40% of the field, in which case over a nine round tournament, that math adds up that you're like, okay, yes, I'm going to face it a couple of times. Unless we get to that point, which who knows, maybe people are just going to show up with what you talked about. Like maybe yeah. it's just going to be a bunch of like budget DNT players and like that'll be like super popular. And we just don't realize it. I would ignore the stuff that you just know you can't beat yeah. because that will save you this stuff against the other pillars of the format like if you're soft to urza saga and you're like but if i just devoted a couple more cards to beating urza saga then i probably have a better favor i'm a little bit more favorable against it do that instead i think yeah. that's just that's more conducive to getting the the results that you would like to get than trying to solve matches that are unwinnable and i want to take a look at it at the asia legacy championship so ew asia the one player that went undefeated in the swiss was the oops all spells player now the oops all spells player did make a bunch of adjustments in their main deck they were playing the full set of leyline of sanctity on top of leyline of making everything instant speed leyline of anticipation of anticipation they were playing six ley lines in their main right okay cool whatever you're innovating on the turn one combo deck like who cares the thing that i want to talk about with those innovations though is that the matchup lottery grew the majority of their entire event was so favorable for exactly the changes that they made yeah that like you can't you can't draw up a matchup lottery better than what this player ran into let's talk about it for a sec okay go for it round one if you're on Oops All Spells, right? Put yourself in the Oops All Spells with four Leyline lay line of Sanctity in your main deck player. That's who you are. Four Leyline of Sanctity. I'm playing Oops All Spells. Your first round, <laughs> you go up against 12 posts in your opening round. Oh, Hell come yeah. On. That's a, bu- that, yeah, that's that's a, a buy. buy. Round two. Round two, I'm on the four Leyline of Sanctity dot deck and I play against Reanimator. Oh, that's sweet. That's lovely. Round three, I'm playing against Sneak and Show. We're both combo decks and I'm way faster. Way faster. And they're, they're not putting me up on, under nearly enough pressure. And in order to win, they need three cards, right? Your, yeah. your entire deck is built on going off turn one and you can beat a single force of will. Like the deck can beat a single force. Okay, great. Round four, 
Reanimator again. Oh, how lovely it is to be the four Leyline of Sanctity deck against all these thought seizes. Round five, you're going up against eight cast again. A bunch too of slow. force of wills. You're too slow. A bunch of force of wills. And if you win the die roll, you can just blitz check them constantly, yeah. right? And you can beat the forces. You're playing Leyline of Anticipation as well. So it's like maybe there's the, the angle where like when you bring in the force of negations post board, like even that's not good enough. Round six, yes. Demir scam. Reanimator again. <laughs> oh my God. Right? We're, we're through round six. And you have yet to play against Days. And, and this is right? another undefeated reanimator player in round six. Pretty wild, actually. Round seven. Remember, your ley line of sanctity. What did you play against in round seven? Reanimator. Ad nauseum tendrils. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> like, like, but you, you see I'm you dead. see what I mean so, so far, <laughs> yeah, right? No, it's like, ridiculous. This, 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 this player is playing oops with four ley line of sanctity and then went up in the first seven rounds. One, two, three, yeah, wow. four. Thought sees decks without any other form of interaction. How good do you feel at going into round eight where you're just like, I picked the best deck for every matchup I've gotten? The only decks that had interaction that didn't care about Leyline of Sanctity were literally Sneak and Show and Eight Cast. And both of them don't attack Too slow. Too They slow. don't attack. They, they, the only instance that they interact with you, really, Force of Will. And the deck yeah. is designed to beat a Force of Will. Okay, round eight. Finally, they play against Izzet Delver. Th- this round, they still won it 2-1. That is indicative to me. I assume that means that they won the die roll. But yeah, they played against probably the matchup they didn't want to play against, but they got it, right? Yeah. Cool. The, it's tough to win game ones if you're only on Force of Will and not much else. But like, they got through the... T- I would think that that's the tough matchup. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Round nine. What do you think they played against? Reanimator. Doomsday. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the other, no good. another Thoughtseize deck. Yeah, right. They played against like, all the, of again, the Thoughtseize. That's a deck that's a combo deck, but it's too slow. Round ten. Their last round. What did they play against? Death and taxes. Scam. Scam. I Demir. Demir. <laughs> scam. Demir. Yeah. Scam. So, so this this player went undefeated, and the only time that they ran into a matchup that you would argue maybe they didn't want to run into was exactly in round eight against is it delver yeah. and they're the deck that is so leveraged that if they won the die roll then maybe it doesn't matter anyway but like otherwise i'm the oops all spells i'm gonna play four leyline of sanctity and i'm gonna play against one two three four five six of my ten rounds against explicitly thought sees. like yeah. are you kidding that's that what i mean by like if you're going to assume that you're gonna win the matchup lottery like that's the way to do it yeah. right and then they just ran the table and then they knocked out in the quarterfinal because they played against four color control that's it that's all that's all it took if we are all in the mindset of the leyline of sanctity only gonna run into thought sees all day player that's the way that we top eight this event i i know i agree phil i think that is a wonderful place to leave it that's great advice and i just want to leave everybody with this uh this final thought from american folk singer songwriter thomas petty into the great wide open amen